everyone. Grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Thursday, May 21st, and this week we're doing a crash course in biblical literacy. We have finally landed on a title for this whole series, by the way. We're calling it Reality Remastered, where we're taking teachings from our past that have been super important and informative to us and remastering them by condensing them in a week a Sunday teaching, and a week of podcast. And of course, this week we are in the topic of biblical literacy. We studied this topic in 2016 in the year of biblical literacy. And as a part of your biblical literacy, we actually had in 2016, uh, doing a residency and teaching uh, to kick us off for that year, Dr. Tim Mackey, who was on the podcast yesterday. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, he's wicked smart. He's a doctor. Doctor. I mean, not a medical doctor, but like a doctor and. Uh, super smart Bible stuff. Like he's really, really uh, wicked smart when it comes to the scriptures. And he was telling us that we have to immerse ourselves in the story. And I want to continue. I wanted to ruminate on that a bit. I wanted to click into that um, and metabolize that. See, most of us, um, if you grew up in church or if you're fairly new to the Christian faith, uh, we are often guilty of believing a two-part gospel versus a four-part gospel or a grand narrative of the gospel. See, typically when we enter into the Christian faith, the gospel is told to us like this. Um, You're born a sinner. Every single person is born a sinner that's bound for hell. And Jesus saves us from sin and hell. And if we believe in him, we get to go to heaven. This is what many of us were fed growing up. This is the Romans road. How many in our generation and our parents' generation were taught how to share their faith. They were told the Romans road goes something like this, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9, if you confess your, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you shall be saved. Boom, done, saved. Now, That is the Romans road. That is how many of us came into the gospel. You're a sinner. That's how I came into the gospel. You're a sinner bound for hell. Christ saved you. Now, that is only half of the story and the truncation of the story. Not that that's not true. That's very true, but it's only part of the story. It's not the whole thing. In this story, in this two-part gospel, we don't know where in the world we came from. We don't know why we're here, and we don't know where this is all going. That's the problem. A two-part gospel breeds dualism. Dualism is a belief that the spiritual and the sacred must be separated from the rest of life. It says, Here, here's my faith in God, my life with Jesus, and it's sealed off from the way I work, how I spend my money, and what I do on the weekends, and how I live with my neighbors. It's my private faith. And this two-part gospel is not big enough to help us to make sense of the Bible, let alone make sense of our lives. We need the whole gospel. And the whole gospel goes like this. And this is also the grand narrative of the Bible. It goes like this. One, creation. God created the world as good, and he made us in his image. And as made in God's image, we are placed on this earth to partner with God, to co-labor with God, to get creative with God, to steward and rule the earth with God. This is like what we were created to do. Part two, the fall. Sin entered the world through disobedience, through not trusting God's way, his wisdom, 
for how we are to rule the world, as Tim Mackey alluded to yesterday. Part three, redemption. Life and the availability of God's presence through Jesus. We get to almost brought back into our original cultural mandate. We are made right with God and we're placed back on track to get busy with God's work in God's way. And the fourth restoration, this is the renewal of all things, when God will make his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there it is, the whole gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is actually the entire story of the Bible as well. And I would posit that this whole gospel actually helps us make the most sense of reality. And so, that is the story of God, the story of the Bible. Now we have to, now the, the task is, we have to stay in this story. Now how do we stay in this story? Let me explain what I mean with an illustration. Imagine we have a recovered uh, lost Shakespeare five-act play. Say we found it somewhere in the back of a map or something. Who knows? And we have, from Shakespeare, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and Act 5, but we don't have Act 4. Now, we know where the story starts and how the story starts, how it builds, how it climaxes, and how it resolves, but we don't have that very important fourth act to show us the consequences of how Act 3 played out, how the tension of that gets heightened um, and the hopes and the fears caused by Act 3, how that really plays out. So let's say we want to stage this play. Let's say we want to actually do it. We want to put the production on and bring it to Broadway. What would we do? What about Act 4? Now, one option is we could write Act 4, but that might feel a little inappropriate since Shakespeare himself didn't write it. It would actually commit Shakespeare to things that he never said or wrote. What might be better is to give the key parts to highly trained, sensitive, and experienced Shakespearean actors who would immerse themselves in the first three acts and the fifth, immerse themselves in the language and the culture of Shakespeare and his time, and then they would be tasked to work out the fourth act for themselves. Consider what might happen if we did that. I mean, this is a really good thought experiment. Consider. The first three acts and the final act would undoubtedly be the authority for the play. The actors are to take the, the acts that we have, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and the last act, and live into those and act those out rightly. But when we got to Act 4, when we got to Act 4, what would be required at that act is imagination, innovation, and consistency. You would actually want to live in accordance with the first three acts and the final act. Now, obviously, the connection here is this. This is what we have with the story of God. We know how the story starts. We know how the story builds with Israel. We learn who God is and what God is trying to do in the world through them. We know how the story climaxes in Christ, the suffering servant. We know the first bit about the church, called, called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the people of God for the world. And we know how it resolves in Revelation. But what we're missing is a very large bit from the early church to the new creation. Do you see where I'm going with this? We know how the church starts, but we are missing the consequences of how the church, empowered by the crucified and risen Jesus, plays out. In the biblical story, 
The reason why we're missing it is because that act is us. We are the fourth act of God's great story. The church has been this for centuries, and the task is to continue to live into the story well, to take up our part in the story, to move it along from what we inherited and to do the best we can to move it forward towards its resolution. Now, the whole point that I'm trying to make is we have to stay in the story. We have to stay and remain in the story, which is the argument for reading the Bible regularly. Staying in its story until it saturates our imagination, until it saturates our consciousness, until we realize that we're the ones living, as Tim Mackey alluded yesterday, uh, the David story, or the Mary story, or um, the Moses story, or Israel story, over and over. We live that story, and we need redemption through Christ. We are the ones who live in the story of the Spirit coming upon the church and empowering it and seeing God work through us. We start seeing the Bible come alive in and around us. I think that was, for me, one of the things that actually drew me to San Francisco. Um, When God called Ashley and I to San Francisco, uh, if you know part of my story, I'm from a really small town, uh, not, well, it's relatively small compared to San Francisco and Bakersfield, very conservative place. And I'm called to the liberal city of San Francisco. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I'm God. I, I'm, I remember telling God, God, I can't do this. Um, I'm too small and significant, not smart enough, not cool enough, not progressive enough for that. And I started to sound like a Bible character. And that's when I realized I'm living in a, I'm living in this story. I have to go. I have to go because I'm starting to sound like Gideon. I'm starting to sound like um, like Jonah. I'm starting to sound like uh, Moses. I'm starting to sound these Bible characters who say, no, God, we can't do it. And then God does it, wants to do it through their weakness. See, this is why we need to stay in the story. So church, friends, let's stay in the story. Let's remain by reading it over and over again until it until it permeates your consciousness. Peace be with you.